and welcome to the all-purpose nfl podcast i'm your host ap and in this episode i will be talking about the chiefs big win over the buccaneers the broncos playing without a quarterback and more but first highlights analysis and a few hard hits this is the game day blitz the Lions lost their fourth game in their last five, falling to the Texans 41-25. After a punt on the Texans' opening drive, the Lions drove the ball down the field 85 yards to score on Adrian Peterson's first rushing touchdown of the game. After another punt, the Lions got the ball back, but J.J. White intercepted the ball on the first play of the drive and ran it in for the pick six, only the second of his career. I don't know why I thought J.J. had more. After Miss PAT, the Lions got the ball back only to fumble on the first play of the drive and give the ball back to the Texans in plus territory. Three plays later, the Texans took a 13-7 lead. The Lions fumbled on their next drive, but the Texans fumbled as well, so the Lions got the ball right back and scored on a second Adrian Peterson rushing touchdown. The Texans responded with a touchdown drive of their own. Duke Johnson caught an over-the-shoulder lob just past the defender to walk into the end zone. He was like, wide open like just dropped it in there the texans will score a field goal after a lions punt to take a 23 to 14 lead into halftime the lions scored a field goal on their opening second half drive to cut the lead to just six points the texans responded with a field goal to take a nine point 26 to 17 lead after another lions punt the texans drove down the field 85 yards in six plays and scored on a 40-yard touchdown catch by will fuller in the exact same corner as the last touchdown by Duke Johnson on what looked to be basically the exact same play. On the ensuing drive, the Lions chose to go for it on fourth and one from the Texans' 34-yard line and failed to convert. The Texans turned this into points on their first play using a modified flea flicker that moved to the right, and then he just kind of tossed it back to Deshaun Watson, who was just standing there. And he passed it to Will Fuller, who was wide open with no one within 20 yards of him, and he walked into the end zone. The Lions were able to drive down the field and cut into that lead with Muhammad Sanu's first touchdown as a Lion, but it was too little too late as that was the final score of the game. This was a good showing for a Texans team that seems to finally be hitting their stride. They've won three of their last four after starting the season 1-6. Quick side note, this was always going to be a rough season for this team. Five of their first seven games were against teams that were in the playoffs last year. And one of the teams that wasn't in the playoffs was the Steelers, who brought back Big Ben this year. It would have been a rough start for any team, let alone a team who was trying to recoup and recover from losing their second best offensive player and dealing with an inept head coach and general manager. It's hard to deal with. Deshaun Watson was 17-25 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. Will Fuller had an outstanding day with 171 yards on six touches. However, Deshaun Watson's new favorite target will be suspended for the rest of the season. So, the team's struggles will likely continue after losing another wide receiver. The Texans defense looked good, causing three first-half turnovers after only having five turnovers all season. Tony Romo said on the broadcast, turnovers come in waves. This was an excellent example of a wave going the Texans way. One problem I can say they had is they looked weak against the run as Adrian Peterson was able to get two touchdowns and carry on Johnson averaged for over four yards carry. It will be interesting to see if they can rectify their issues with the run game moving forward. 
for the Lions, this was the game that got Matt Patricia fired. Honestly, I don't think this was a bad enough coaching performance to justify that. I do think it was time for Matt Patricia to go, but this is not the game that I looked at and said, oh yeah, he did so horrible, he needs to go after this. The only problems I saw with his coaching were the fourth and one call on the 34-yard line, which although I disagree with the call, made sense for where they were in the game. And they got away from the running game, which was so effective at the beginning of the second half. They gained 59 yards on the ground with Adrian Peterson and Kerryon Johnson on nine consecutive plays in that opening second half drive. They didn't really go back to running the ball effectively. Also, even defensively, they gave up four touchdowns, but two of those were on short fields. You can stop the other team, and you should, but when the offense is starting on the 30 and the 34-yard line, they are more prone to score touchdowns. That's not a coaching problem. Here's what I'll say. I would not be at all surprised if the decision to fire Matt Patricia was made after the 20 to nothing shutout last week to the Panthers, who were using P.J. Walker, who was an XFL quarterback. But because they were on a short week and they wanted continuity moving forward with the team, they decided to hold off. And had they won the Texans game, he may have kept his job. But I wouldn't be surprised if last week was when they made the decision to let him go. You lose this week and it doesn't look good, you're definitely out the door. Here's the problem. The future doesn't look very bright for the Lions, though, as they face three teams over 500 in their last five games. Before they start their against stiffer competition, they will face the Bears Sunday, while the Texans will face the Colts. The Bills survived the Chargers 27-17. The Bills got on the board first with a two-yard touchdown catch by tight end Dawson Knox, his first touchdown of the season. The Chargers responded with a 13-play 79-yard drive, capped off with a Keenan Allen touchdown catch in the tightest of windows. Like, it was itty-bitty. I don't know how Justin Herbert fitted in, but he did, and they scored. The point after was missed. After several punts from both teams, the Bills scored again on a 20-yard trick play that saw Josh Allen throw what looked to be a screen to Cole Beasley, who then threw it down the field 20 yards to a wide-open Gabriel Davis to take a 14-6 lead. The Bills scored a field goal to take a 17-6 lead into the half. The Bills extended their lead to 24-6 on their opening drive on a Josh Allen three-yard touchdown run. The Chargers cut the lead to 10 on a Josh Kelly diving touchdown, which was set up primarily by Josh Kelly, who a few plays earlier broke through for a 33-yard run. The Chargers converted the two-point conversion to make the score 24-14. After a fumble by the Bills, the Chargers scored a field goal to make it a one-possession game. After a fumble and interception on back-to-back drives for the Bills, they were finally able to get in position and kick the field goal to regain their 10-point lead, 27-17. The end of the game came when the Chargers were able to convert a Hail Mary at the three-yard line, but failed to push the ball in for another touchdown, and time ran out. The Bills got the win for this game, but this was not a pretty victory. Offensively, they had spurts of good play, but also couldn't move the ball at times, and Josh Allen was under duress multiple times. 
Although they used him more in the run game, he also made some very bad reads on option plays. When he should have given the ball up, he didn't, and he got hit in the backfield multiple times. Even his interception was a bad decision on his part. Even though he was getting hit, you don't just launch the ball in the air like, hey, somebody go catch it. It's a bad decision. Not something you do. The biggest issue of the day was that the offense made too many mistakes when it mattered. And if not for bad play by the Chargers, the Bills would have lost this game because they gave the Chargers multiple opportunities to win. On the flip side of it, the Bills defense stood up and stopped the Chargers during those times. So it all worked out. As for the Chargers... I heard Greeny of ESPN say this week that Anthony Lynn would lose his job at the end of the season because of his time management at the end of this game. I thought this was a harsh and unfair statement to make. And then I actually watched the game. And after seeing it, I have to say, I completely agree with Green's assessment of Lynn's job security. How? How? How does this happen? Like, what nonsense does it make to run the ball on the two-yard line with 24 seconds left and no timeouts? Make it make sense. Please, Anthony Lynn, make it make sense. I was livid, like, fire-hot, mad at the poor decision-making, and I'm not even a Chargers fan. I don't, I don't get it. it. It was some of the worst coaching decisions and time management that I've ever seen. But as far as the Chargers go, that wasn't the only problem. They just failed on offense altogether. The run game worked to a degree, but was not effective when they needed or wanted it to be. The short pass game also functioned in this manner. Austin Eckler had 14 carries for 44 yards and 11 catches for 85 yards. And it never felt like his contributions were leading anywhere. Justin Herbert had a good statistical game, throwing for 316 yards on 31 of 52 passing, but it was similar to Eckler. You're having the opportunities. Your defense is making stops. They're getting takeaways, and yet you're not doing anything with it. That is the greatest indictment on the Chargers in this game. I feel for Anthony Lynn because I don't think he will keep this job, despite the fact that I think he's generally a good coach, despite these bad decisions in this game. However, this team is too good for them to have the consistent late game problems that they do, and he is a major part of that. Moving forward, the Chargers face the Patriots next, while the Bills will face the 49ers. The Chiefs dominated the Buccaneers 27-24, despite the score saying otherwise. The Chiefs got on the board first with a field goal to start the game. After a few punts, the Chiefs scored in one play on a 75-yard touchdown connection between Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. The Buccaneers went 3-and-out for the second consecutive drive, and the Chiefs took a 17-0 lead after another Tyreek Hill touchdown catch. After a third three and out, the Chiefs drove down the field, but a fumble by Mahomes led to a touchdown by Ronald Jones on a 37-yard catch and run. The Chiefs widened the gap before halftime with a field goal to take a 20-7 lead. The Buccaneers scored a field goal on their opening second-half drive, but the Chiefs pushed the lead back up to 17 with Tyreek Hill's third touchdown of the day. Tom Brady threw an interception on back-to-back -back drives, but the Chiefs couldn't do anything with the ball and punted it back after both turnovers. The Buccaneers were able to score again on a 31-yard touchdown catch by Mike Evans to cut the lead to 27-17. To 
after three holding penalties pushed the Chiefs out of field goal range. The Chiefs punted and the Buccaneers were able to cut the lead to just three on another Mike Evans touchdown catch. The Chiefs got the ball back with about four minutes left and they were able to run the clock out to win the game. This game ended up being close, but it was a blowout for the majority of the game. The Buccaneers defense had their second straight game of allowing major yardage to opposing wide receivers and it cost them in both weeks. They were able to adjust and get better as the game went along, but I attribute some of that to the play calling by the Chiefs. Offensively, the Buccaneers continue to try and force Brady to be someone who he is not. What's worse is at the end of the game, when they allowed him to play a style that he's more used to, it was effective. Also, the Buccaneers start slow. In multiple games this year, they've had three and outs multiple times in the first half. Generally, they have been able to overcome that, but that's because they faced lesser opponents. When they face teams that can score, they run into major problems. The weapons of the Buccaneers continue to be their greatest asset, but they have to use them effectively and not be so tied to Bruce Arians' system that they don't allow the team to flourish in what works best for them. As far as the Chiefs go, they almost gave this game away. The holding penalties that pushed them out of field goal range were frustrating because it was on back-to-back plays and kept making things worse. But on the other side of the ball, Frank Clark's two roughing the passer penalties that put the Bucks in scoring position were just as bad. As I watched the game, I said, if they lose this, those will be the five plays that are pointed to as the reason for the loss. They ended up winning, so it didn't hurt them, but it was still a problem. Now, my biggest issue with this game is one I've had since last year, and it's the fact that Andy Reid lets his foot off the gas when he has the lead, and it is infuriating. In this game, Tyreek Hill had 210 yards in the first half and two touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes had 359 yards on 25 completions with 33 attempts. These are Madden-type numbers. Andy Reid got conservative. He didn't press down when he had his foot on the throat of his opposition, and it almost cost him the game. For me, this should have been a record-breaking game for those two players. Mahomes should have had 550 yards passing, and Tyreek Hill should have had 325 yards and four touchdowns. This is a problem that Andy Reid has and has had it going back to last year. He is not cutthroat. He does not press the issue. He does not go for the jugular and make it impossible for the other team to come back. What bothers me about this is they've been able to get away with it because they were playing lesser competition. You ran into a good team this time. They almost came back. This is why you need to go for the throat and don't let up. If you're up 17, go up 31. Don't stop. If passing the ball to Tyreek Hill has been effective, don't stop passing the ball to Tyreek Hill. 
feed him. In the same way in basketball, when a player is hot, you keep feeding him the ball. That's what Andy Reid needs to do. Feed your players the ball. Let them go out and win you the game. You have one of the most unfair teams in the league. Make it as unfair as possible. Hopefully, Andy learns from this and takes a page out of the 2009 Bill Belichick playbook. Don't stop scoring until you're up 50. Once you're up 50, then you can take out your starting quarterback. Until then, destroy your opponent. The Chiefs face the Broncos next, and the Buccaneers will try to snap their losing streak against the Vikings. So, let's get into the rest of the game. The Washington football team dominated the Dallas Cowboys 41-16. Running back Antonio Gibson had a big day, rushing 20 times for 115 yards and three touchdowns. Wide receiver Terry McLaurin also had a solid game with 92 yards on seven receptions and a critical tackle that turned a pick six into only three points for the Cowboys and helped to solidify their win. The Colts fell to the Titans 45-26. Derrick Henry had an outstanding game, rushing for 178 yards and three first-half touchdowns. A.J. Brown was also a major factor in this win as he had 98 yards on four catches and one touchdown. He also scored the final touchdown of the game for the Titans with a 42-yard kickoff return touchdown on a bad onside kick by the Colts. After a close game with the Chiefs last week, the Raiders were completely dismantled by the Falcons 43-6. The Raiders had five total turnovers, including three lost fumbles by Derek Carr and one interception. The run game for the Raiders was also non-existent as they only mustered 40 total yards on the ground. The Giants defeated the Bengals in a close game 19-17. Despite being hampered by a hamstring injury, Daniel Jones was 16 of 27 for 213 yards. Evan Ingram was a big help to Jones as he hauled in six of those passes for 129 yards. The Panthers lost to the Vikings 28-27. Despite being down 11 in the fourth quarter, Kirk Cousins was able to score two touchdowns in the final quarter to help secure the win for his team. He finished the day 34-45 for 307 yards and three touchdowns. Panthers rookie Jeremy Chin had a great day as he returned fumbles on back-to-back plays for touchdowns. Despite poor play from Cam Newton, the Patriots knocked off the Cardinals 20-17. Newton only completed nine of his 18 passes for 84 yards, but James White scored two touchdowns on the ground to help secure the victory for the Patriots. Nick Folk hit the game-winning field goal as time expired. The Dolphins handed the Jets their 11th loss of the season, 20-3. In his first action since the first week of November, Sam Darnold continued his struggles this season, passing for less than 200 yards and two interceptions. Darnold has not thrown a touchdown pass since September 27th. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a good day in relief of the injured Tua Tungvaloa with 257 yards and two touchdowns. The Browns survived a late push by the Jaguars to win 27-25. Baker Mayfield was an efficient 19-29 for 258 yards and two touchdowns, but he did miss on touchdown passes that could have opened the game up more. Nick Chubb had his third consecutive 100-plus rushing yard game with 144 yards and a touchdown. Jarvis Landry was also a key factor in this game with eight receptions, 143 yards, and a touchdown. The Saints overwhelmed the quarterbackless Broncos 31-3. Taysom Hill rushed 10 times for 44 yards and two touchdowns, while only passing for 78 yards on nine completions and having one interception. Latavius Murray had 19 carries for 124 yards and two touchdowns for the Saints. The 49ers swept the Rams in their season series for the second straight year, 23-20. 
Jared Goff turned the ball over three times in this game with two interceptions and one fumble. The defense played a major role in this game as both teams scored defensive touchdowns. The 49ers won the game on a walk-off field goal. The Bears lost their first of two seasonal matchups against the Packers, 41-25. Aaron Rodgers was 21 of 29 for 221 yards and four touchdowns. Tight end Robert Tynion led the Packers receivers with five catches for 67 yards and one touchdown. The Seahawks took down the Eagles 23-17. Russell Wilson continues to try and push back into the MVP conversation with 230 yards and a touchdown on 22 of 31 passing. DK Metcalf wanted to prove a point to an Eagles defensive coach who told him pregame that he had been in Detroit with Megatron and DK wasn't there yet. Metcalf went off for 177 yards on 10 catches. I think that was a bad choice of words for the Eagles staffer. With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the cover three. The top three stories of the week. So, all three of my stories this week are cover related as cases rise and the league continues to try and manage all the craziness associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Number three. The San Francisco 49ers will share a home with the Arizona Cardinals for their next two home games. Santa Clara County in California has created a new batch of coronavirus restrictions that include no contact sports for at least the next three weeks, which means the 49ers are on the move. The Cardinals do not have a scheduling conflict with the 49ers, so they will allow the team into their facility for the two-week homestand that the 49ers have. The situation is good for the 49ers who won't be allowed to play or practice in their home facility or arena, but have been welcomed by the Cardinals. But it is just something else that goes into the craziness of this season. The 49ers will have to be away from their families and homes for the next three weeks as they will travel to Arizona and stay there until their game against the Cowboys at Dallas on December 20th. I know this has to suck to think that you won't have to travel for weeks. You'll be at home. It's a homestand. So Sunday after the game, you can go home and just relax. That's not going to happen. And that has to be hard to deal with. Not to mention, you're going to be away from home for almost a month. It's a really sucky situation. The pandemic continues to force shifts in lives and dynamics. And this is just another case of that. Number two. The Broncos were without any of their quarterbacks for their game against the Saints and had to turn to former high school quarterback term practice squad receiver Kendall Hinton to start at quarterback this week. This situation came about because backup quarterback Jeff Driscoll tested positive for the coronavirus and fellow quarterbacks Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, and Blake Bortles were all in close proximity to him without masks and forced out of the game. So originally this was uproariously funny to me. Like y'all ain't got no quarterbacks? Like, none? Like, how do you not have any quarterbacks? They're like, four, like, what's going on? Y'all don't got no practice squad quarterbacks, no nothing? Until I found out what actually happened. And it's just weird. It was such a harsh reality to understand that they truly had to play a game without a quarterback. And the idea that the league didn't push it back is even wilder. I will say that Kendall Hinton deserves praise for stepping up and playing in this position. He had a horrendous game. 
only completing one pass and throwing two interceptions. However, he should be applauded for going out there and doing it regardless. As for the quarterbacks for the Broncos, I don't see how any of them are on the team next year. This type of negligence and free-willing attitude doesn't bode well for any of these players. What's worse is Drew Locke, who has the potential to be the quarterback of the future for the team, has had plenty of on-the-field mistakes. Having this off-the-field makes it harder to justify keeping him and not moving on and finding a new quarterback. The Saints and the Patriots were fined for breaking protocols earlier this week. The question is, will the negligence by these players cost the Broncos not only the possibility of this win, but also financially? Number one. The Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens game scheduled for Thanksgiving night has been rescheduled for Wednesday, December 2nd, thanks to a COVID-19 outbreak within the Ravens organization. At most, there were 18 players on the COVID reserve list for the Ravens, and they will be playing the game without reigning MVP Lamar Jackson, as well as several other players at different positions, including Mark Andrews and Matthew Judon. This is the largest outbreak in the league this year, and in any league if I'm not mistaken. The game has been pushed back three times, from Sunday to Tuesday to Wednesday. I believe the biggest reason for continuing to push it back was to allow the Ravens to get at least one practice in before having to play for the first time in 10 days. I feel like this situation isn't fair to the Steelers, and not just because I'm a Steelers fan. For the second time this season, the Steelers did nothing wrong. They did what they were supposed to and managed themselves accordingly. However, due to the negligence and decisions of their opponents, their worlds got shifted, changed, and completely thrown off. I don't think forfeiting the game is necessarily the best option, but I do think the Steelers players deserve to be compensated in some type of way. What way that is, I'm not really sure. I'm not saying that Pittsburgh is perfect. Stephon Tewitt and James Conner are both on the COVID-19 list and had to be put there this week. But at the end of the day, the league has determined that they don't want any weeks being added to the schedule and they will do whatever it takes to ensure that doesn't happen. All told, this has been a wild ride and will be something that continues to be monitored as Lamar Jackson is the biggest name so far to contract the virus. And we'll have to see, can he play next week? But also, as I've said all season, players don't really seem to look the same and be the same after contracting the virus. How will this affect Lamar Jackson? Up, down, or the same, teams are always changing in the power rankings. This week's power rankings did not see any movement in the top five as the Chiefs remain at number one, the Steelers are number two, the Saints come in at three, the Packers are number four, and the Bills maintain at number five. However, things shifted in six through ten. Pushing back into the top ten this week are both the Titans at number six and the Seahawks who ride their two-game winning streak into the number seven spot. The Cardinals fall to number eight, and the Rams fall as well to the number nine spot. 
and the Buccaneers fall to the final spot in the top 10 after their second straight loss. That is all I have for you today. I have been your host, Ariane Parks. You can find me on social media at APNFLPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find the All Purpose NFL Podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever it is you get your podcast. I want to say thank you for listening and have a good one.